0: Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. We're continuing to do our series of webinars, and we are already lining up guests for 2022. If you really enjoy this content, you can help support Webinars with Wendy by going to Patreon to the Murdoch Method account for $5 a month. You can subscribe and be one of our patrons Woohoo! that supports us in this process. Um, My staff and I spent a lot of time looking for guests and wrangling them, lassoing them, pulling them in. So if you enjoy this content and benefit from it, just consider a donation of five dollars a month we'd really appreciate it today my guest is daniel santos and i have known danielle oh wow for a long time now yeah about 10 years Yeah, Um, I was just looking through some pictures recently and saw pictures of you and your horse and I was like, oh yeah, that was back at that workshop in 2017 that we did at Pam Woolley's." Yes, yes. So I will let Danielle introduce herself. She is a wealth of knowledge and she'll talk about what we're going to talk about today, but we've already planned part two of this discussion about body protection. So stay tuned. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Wendy, and thanks for inviting me. Um, I work for Charles Owen. And uh, to be honest with you, the topic of air vests is quite a timely one. The air vest potential is great. The safety that they provide is amazing. Um, Charles Owen does not currently manufacture an air vest, so this will be kind of not about a brand. So you can rest assured, I can't suggest a Charles Owen air vest because we don't have one. Um, We used to do an air vest, which is where I'm gaining most of my uh, knowledge from. Roy Burek, who ran the company, Charles Owen, his son is now taking over. He did an air vest back in 2014, which was, um, you can say it was a slightly cumbersome, Uh, layer of protection because it actually had a beta level three body protector and a satra certified air vest over top. And actually it's right over there. Um, But I can show it to you. If you look at the WEG pictures from the WEG in Normandy, the entire U S team invented in our air vest slash body protector. It provided a level of protection to a And that's what it was designed for. Um, that in a rotational fall, you had nearly double the protection that a one beta level three body protector would give you. So the SATRA certification on the air, in addition to the body protector, would protect you against everything except for an edge surface that might puncture the airbag. So that was the start of Charles Owen getting involved in air AirVest. And then of course, We transitioned to a a three-in-one body protector and a zip-on air vest. And I have that right here. We did this one in, I believe it was 2016. Um, We no longer manufacture this because, um, and it is a zip-on, because um, without Roy in the company, the air protection isn't um, something that we are, focusing on at the moment. Also, the, the European Standards Committee is actually coming out with some um, standards that will allow for air to be an equestrian standard, which is very important information. Wow. All of our air vests. So, so that is no longer available, that particular air vest. So I'm going to start the conversation of air vests that Riders should be aware that the standard to which all air vests are currently um, tested to in the U.S. are are based on motorcycles. So on the accidents of motorcycles. So while that can add protection, what we're hoping moving forward is that there's going to be an equestrian specific standard for air.
0: Yeah, because motorcycles, go a whole lot faster than horses and they continue going when you fall off that that's yeah well they could it depends <laughs> oh, the horses keep going <laughs> oh, yes. i was like they're the keep going. <laughs> how does that happen <laughs> uh,
1: hmm. and i think that that becomes the decision making process you know one of the main things that i am asked when it comes to body protection for riders is should i choose an air vest or should i choose a body protector
0: So let's start the conversation with talking about body protectors so that we can really understand the the difference from where things came, which was nothing, to body protectors and now to air vests. So
1: I work with a company that's based in the UK. So all of our body protectors that we sell in the UK for eventing and the body protectors we sell over here for eventing are beta level three. So So that means... That they are tested against the standard 13158 in Europe and certified by the British Equestrian Trade Association to the level three, which is required by British Eventing and British Pony Club. How many levels
0: are there? Three. Oh, okay. That's so it's the, the top. top. Level. And That's Great the top is the British, uh, it's the, I know what it is British Equestrian Trade Show Association, right? Trade Association. Yeah. So basically, that they, they are, we have equivalents in this country. We have ADA and WESA, but basically, they're an organization that deals with all the man, um, wholesalers.
1: Yes. And, and actually, BETA is set up very differently than ADA or WESA. They have a commercial side, which handles the, the trade shows, it handles, um, I believe, anything that's bringing in money. And then there's the, the BETA Association which is a valuable resource for people to get information on safety. Um, They have a very stringent policy on like wormers, selling wormers in tax stores. Um, They do a lot of education for the retailers in the UK because they see it as a much broader industry than I think we do here in the US. In the US, if you're into the equestrian trade, it's kind of seen as, a lucky job, you know, you're lucky to do horses as kind of a regular job, you know, and, um, and and WISA is somewhat similar, but since that's the Western side, predominantly, we don't get to see a lot of it
0: in the English disciplines. Right. On the East Coast. And so so beta the Beta Association then sounds more like the crash desk dummy people, uh, uh, like for cars, which, you know, the crash desk dummy site is here in Virginia. Right, right. <laughs> and and that. that's the one just north of Charlottesville, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and interestingly enough, so that's actually a perfect segue for me to say, so the Virginia Tech um, uh, five-star helmet rating that they have done for all other sports, they did it for cycling, they did it for football, uh, ice hockey, I believe they did one for polo back before Noxie was a requirement. They are doing, they were given a large grant by Mrs. Uh, Jackie Mars, mm. and it was crowdfunded by USEF and USHJA to be able to do this five-star rating on helmets. They're in the middle of it. They're in a two-year program. They're at year the end of year one. And so their findings for helmets will come out next this time next year, and they will rate any helmet, riding helmet that is on the market that can be sold to somebody in the U.S. and give it basically like a consumer reports rating. So, oh. um, cause as you know, ASTM is either pass or fail. Right. It doesn't rank helmets in levels of safety. So that's what they're gonna present. And once they're done with that, they are talking about doing body protectors and Airbus. because the gentleman who runs the lab Dr. Duma, he worked at that facility. He was in integral in doing the airbags for cars.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, what yeah. a neat connection.
1: <laughs> so I suggest to anyone who's, who's um, focused on safety, who wants to know anything, the Virginia Tech helmet testing is invaluable. I mean, it's so amazing that they're doing this and that they have the funding to be able to let us know what's the safe product.
0: So, so essentially, Virginia is the hotbed for this. Not only do we have the crash test dummy site, but we have the university yeah. that does helmet testing and now air vest testing. And this is really yeah. fantastic news because, you know, it is, it is an issue where people think, well, I'm buying a really good helmet for whatever reason. But because we don't have a rating information, you right. don't know. Okay, right. so that's, that's awesome. And, uh, and that's really good news that they're going to do air vests too because the market is expanding. And that was one of the reasons I wanted you to come and talk about this today, that yes. the changes that are happening in the market are, are rapid in terms yeah. of developing safety vests and things. Um, and it's hard for any individual to keep up with all that information. For sure.
1: And I can tell you most definitely as we stopped doing our air vests, the information actually took a a jump. Actually, the expertise and the technology and the innovations out of Europe have really skyrocketed. You now have, I'd say, more than a half a dozen brands that are Uh doing um, free jump. So so there's free jump, there's Helite, there's Hit Air, there's the new Penelope, which utilizes free jump. Um, I know I'm going to be missing uh, different air vests, But the essential technology that is involved, there are two types of mechanisms. And those mechanisms, they have to to work for you. So being able to talk about this is so vastly important because you're relying on that product to protect you, to protect your torso, to make sure that when your horse does something really silly and you find yourself on the ground, it did its job.
0: So let's talk about, all right, body protectors. They're still on the market. Yes. And they're still uh, better than nothing. Yes. Um, and that air vests are becoming the gold standard of body protection safety. Is that right?
1: Um, it depends on what you're judging it by. So, when you look at body protectors, the Beta level three, that's the most tested and has the most data and science attributed to it. So, if you are, that's why at the moment in eventing, you have to wear a body protector. You don't have to wear an air vest. Okay. Um, FEI has just suggested for FEI level of eventing that it, an air vest is recommended over your body protector, which We've all known for years and years and years that having a body protector plus your air vest is the ideal solution
0: if you're worried about your safety. And so, body protectors that's the gold standard. Okay. So, both. So, body protectors, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, What what are the typical construction? What parts of the body do they protect? (laughs) So, body protectors there's Tipperary, there's, um, there's out, sorry,
1: air, air aware. Charles Owen does have a, um, a body protector that's ASTM. There is Champion. There is Race Safe. Again, another, you know, at least a half a dozen brands. So if you are looking for protection, the highest level of protection for any potential accident you might have, whether that's just falling on straight grass, whether that's falling in your arena on um, GGT footing, on to sand footing, on a trail that might have um, uh, roots or rocks. If you are competing in a venting and you might be thrown into a jump, beta level three has been tested to those scenarios. So you would want to look at a beta level three body protector. It had, generally has four layers of nitrile foam. Those four layers are tested and they perform extraordinarily well. In the UK, we have not found anything, any other product that will protect you in all of those scenarios that Beta Level 3 is testing against and certifying for, except for nitrile foam at the moment. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't going to come up something tomorrow because there's innovations in materials every single day.
0: Constantly, yep.
1: But in, in most labs, and when we, I talk to our, um, our engineers, nitrile foam still protects at a level that you can't replicate with other materials. No. It's the
0: same thing with the
1: EPS in your helmet. Is it's
0: that, from is the, that the same thing as what the gloves are made out of? Like my garden gloves are nitrile.
1: Yes, it's, it's a version and I'm not a chemist, nor am I an engineer, so I don't know what's the difference between your nitrile gloves and your um, body protector, but there's generally four layers in a beta level three um, body protector. So those four layers are actually producing the level of protection absorbs the amount of force that would go to your body. Right. So what that protects is supposed to protect uh, three quarters of an inch below your rib cage, It's not meant to cover your belly button because as, as we learn to ride, we are needing to tuck and roll. That's our body's natural mechanism for protection, right? You fall off and you kind of roll up in a ball and that way you don't get kicked in the head. You don't get kicked in the stomach. So your body protector should not go over your belly button because that's, that's your joint.
0: Yeah. You can't fold if it's down there, it's going to block you.
1: Exactly. And then they generally kind of come down at the back and you don't want it to go below your tailbone. The tailbone isn't necessarily going to be protected from a, unless it's a direct hit, a direct impact, like a kick to your tailbone, tailbones, and, um, certain spine spinal injuries, not, not your spinal cord, but your actual vertebrae are generally from, um, my apologies. I'm, um, hypertension, uh, a, a torque, like a lot of times females, certainly as they grow older, they fall on their hip. And when you fall on your hip, your spine can't take that sort of, um, impact. It starts to, and I'm, I'm blanking on the word and I apologize. It's, it's where your, your bone just can't take that level of movement, that level of force in a way from the side. Right. Our spines are just not developed that way to be hit from the side.
0: Um, well, so, and also if, you're, if your vest goes too low and it starts hitting your saddle, then right. it, you're not going to wear it because it's going to shove it up into your shoulders, above your shoulders and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we exactly. always have to look at how that vest fits you in the saddle. Exactly.
1: And we find that a lot. And that's one of the reasons why you see sometimes gender specific, body protectors where they have a female version and they have a male version. Now that doesn't mean that a female who walks into a tax store isn't straight in their build and they need more of a, a male version. That's why the unisex is fantastic. So really trying all the different brands is really important um, because there are some ladies, you know, and I'm gonna speak specifically about females cause that's most of our demographics, right? So there are some ladies that maybe don't have um, a large bust that needs to be um, uh, protected and, and to go around the body protector to go around. Cause what that ends up doing sometimes is making it too long, which then pushes it up. So, so when you go into a gender specific, so if I could make it a little bit clearer, cause I tend to get a little bit rolling is if you're straight built, there are a lot of brands that you can wear if your your shape is, um, <laughs> and I have one of those shapes. So you know you don't have a tiny little waist and a large bust and and wide hips. Generally, you could be pretty pretty decent in a unisex. But if you have a tiny little waist and you have a large bust and the body protector has to go over the bust, but then be kind of you know, strapped down into the waist, then I would definitely suggest a gender specific because that female body type will be dealt with on one of those products.
0: So, so okay, I, I'm four inches, as if I'm four to five centimeters shorter in the waist than the average person. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> Yes. So when I was at Equitana and I walked into this lovely coat shop and I walked up to the woman to see if she had anything that they, all she did was shake her head. And I'm like, what's the matter? And she's like, I have nothing in this shop that's going to fit you because I, I, ha- I have no way. I knew I had no waist and she confirmed it. So for someone like me, like most most lengths are going to fit a person that has four centimeters more than I do. So that means right. that do they make custom body protectors? I guess. is Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. And most
0: brands do. Um, but
1: I have found that I actually probably have ordered a custom body protector. And I, before I went to Charles Owen in 2010, I worked in a tax store for almost 12 years. I think I've ordered a custom body protector less than a handful of times. Boyd Martin is a custom because he's so (laughs) tall and his torso William Fox Pitt is is a custom because they're they're long in their torso right um because of being so tall but also because of how um they're they're
0: also thin
1: and and um
0: very fit so so the uh sort of the takeaway here is go and try on a bunch of different brands because the different brands are going to fit differently and if you can't find a brand that actually fits you there is the custom option absolutely Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the body protectors, what parts of the body do they protect? Sorry, say that again. I lost you there for a second. Oh, internet unstable. Hang on. Oh, crap. I'm going to be right back. My internet's unstable. It will come back. Okay. Are we back? Yes. Okay, so I, my laptop always wants to connect to the wrong network and then it gets mm-hmm. unstable. So, so my question is what parts of the body does a body protector protect? It protects, first of
1: all, your rib cage because your rib cage is what's protecting your internal organs that are life-threatening if you injure them. So three quarters of an inch below your rib cage in the front and it should be also on the side. And then down to your, just above your tailbone, and I like to judge it, there's, in jeans and also in Mm britches, there's a crisscross right at your tailbone, and it's almost always at your tailbone. So just above that, depending on the person's comfort zone, so that will protect the important internal organs that are protected by your rib cage. It will protect your rib cage from... Having the sort of degree of injury that then you would have a collapsed lung or a punctured lung, because a, a very worrisome injury is if you break a rib and it goes into your lung. Oh yeah, for sure. So um, we have known of riders who have had falls and not horrific falls, not you know five-star venting falls, but you know the the young horse who trips and then bucks and they fall and they break a couple of ribs, but one rib then punctures the lung and collapses the lung. That's a worrisome. That's something that you want to avoid. Um, So internal organs, and then of course the collarbone is a whole other set of protection that you would be required to wear because collarbone injuries are from falling against your shoulder. Or sorry, the side of your arm. And what it does is the impact presses and pushes your collarbone forward. And generally it's a, a break that occurs there. So that's a shoulder protection required. I mean, if you would want to wear a shoulder protector. So whether that's one that you buy to add on to your body protector, or some brands do make shirts with the protection inside. So it's basically like 1980s style working girl
0: <laughs> or what is it? Nine to five
1: um, shoulder pads.
0: Oh, wow. And yeah. then how about the neck area? Is there, are there some that come up higher than others or?
1: There are some air vests that have neck stabilization. What, what about you body protectors though? We're still talking body protectors. No. no, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to hinder the body's natural mechanism of, of protection. And sometimes if you do too much, Necks are very hard to protect because they're, they're designed in a way that if you do too much, you will have um, other injuries that could be worse.
0: Right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, so our body protector then, it's, it's a, is it a rigid material? Is there flexibility in it? Am I gonna feel like Frankenstein trying to walk around? Definitely flexible
1: definitely pliable. Um, When it's a beta level three, it has a tendency because it has so many layers to feel a little bulky. So that's why I make it very clear that beta level three is kind of the eventing standard. It is the pony club standard. Um, Rotational falls are a regular potential occurrence for anyone who events. Um, So you wanna give any eventer that extra protection If you are trail riding and you're just walking and trotting, that's a personal decision whether you need that much protection. So there are body protectors that are beta level three. And I, like I said, like champion from the UK, um, race safe from the UK, arrow from the UK. And then, of course, um, just to name a few. And then, of course, there is an ASTM certification, which was written in the 90s um it is slightly lower and when we developed our our ASTM product it has more than the ASTM to get certified but uh what you want to make sure when you buy an ASTM <clears throat> that you're making that decision because you don't necessarily feel you need rotational fall protection so you can choose an ASTM certified. So that would be Charles Owen. That would be um, Tipperary. Tipperary has two that are ASTM certified. Um, and there's one other brand, um, Ovation, but they're also beat a level
0: three. So you just have to choose which kind of accidents. Right. Whether or not you need maximum protection in a body protector right. or whether less. And what about the weight of a body protector? What's the average? I believe that's, it's more than a pound and I don't have the exact number. Um, But it's not like you have to get used to the weight of it. It's more just physical, having something more around you. I don't have it here. Let me just see if this one has.
1: No, it doesn't have the weight on it. Um, yeah, it's, it's more of a bulk thing. And, and if you want to look at it, besides looking at the accident that you might have, and I'm always very superstitious, I don't event. So when I think about a body protector, do I really need that extra bulk? Because am I doing the same sorts of things that that's tested for? I personally am, am happy in an ASTM, personally, but that's the decision you have to make. Now, when it comes to um, what you're doing, how you're doing it, what, what sort of bulk you want, sometimes riders who have what Roy used to call, and I always have to attribute it to Roy because it makes me laugh and it'll make you laugh. Some of us have a little bit of extra padding. <laughs> so do we need the beta to level three? And I can, again, personally attest to... If I were to wear a Beta level 3 today, I would feel less comfortable than if I wore an ASTM.
0: Yeah, just because there's one level less of the nitrile foam. Got it. So so that ASTM has three layers and Beta has four. In our product.
1: Okay. I haven't pulled apart other products, but essentially yes, you're going to have more layers
0: in Does the Beta level. That makes sense for greater protection. All right. So I think we've covered but, uh, body protectors. Now let's talk about AirVest. When did AirVest start coming out? I'm trying to think. It's In the early
1: 2010s. Um, I remember being at the 2009 uh, U.S.E.A. meeting and having um, the gentleman from Point 2 blowing up all of the potential buyers outside of the area where I was. Um And this particular product, I mean, it has been really a godsend in terms of body protection, because what it did is it actually made us think more about what we're protecting and how much we want to protect and where we want to protect. And I, you know, in the early days, you saw riders like Buck Davidson say, you know, it was like falling on a pillow, you know, when he fell off and the air, the air vest deployed. Um, Again, it's a personal decision, which, which product you want to wear, but certainly the air vest is going to give you a level of protection that we didn't have prior to them.
0: Right. So where did, where did they, I mean, did they come out of the idea of the car airbags or, or is that where? Motorcycles. Motorcycles. So motorcyclists actually can wear air vests. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And that's where
1: most of the technologies come from. Aside from free jump, which has written their own norm, which is not a standard, but it's, I guess it's the precursor to a standard. Um, And they've written their own requirements, which has been adopted by the Penelope brand. What they have done is they actually have produced something that is more equestrian specific because all the other brands, Hitair was was born out of the motorcycle industry. Helite was born out of the motorcycle industry. And so those mechanisms are designed with those slightly bulky canisters for uh,
0: somebody who's riding a motorcycle. So let's talk a little bit about this now that you've brought it up. So, so basically it's a vest that's going to inflate when? So you have your lanyard and you are going to attach your
1: lanyard, which is, so this little zipper area is where your mechanism will be. And your canister would go into there. This okay. doesn't have a canister or a proper mechanism in it.
0: So, go yes. ahead. And there's an attach, there's a, so you hook something to your saddle. Yep, the lanyard comes out and you attach that lanyard,
1: which is generally this about this long. Some riders, you know, like Boyd Martin, uh, an extra long lanyard is generally required because as we've seen some deployments that aren't intended oh. and then riders have to keep riding. Oh, there's actually, um, uh, a ruling that has just been put out through USHJA about being able to take off your air vest if it prematurely deploys.
0: <laughs> so that's, You've got this lanyard and it's attached to your saddle and it's attached to the air vest.
1: Yes. And, so- and once you separate from the horse, that lanyard is pulled out of the mechanism and deploys the air. And of course the, the company named point two, that was how fast the air went into the, the air chambers to protect you. So that was the goal, point 0.2 seconds. Wow. So, and then of course it starts to, um, to uh, diminish slowly. But that deployment of the airbag is, is essential to make sure that when you fall, you have that airbag to protect you. And the air, obviously what that does is it gives stopping distance. So I think when we talk about, <coughs> excuse me, body protectors versus airbags or air vests, you have to determine what kind of protection you're looking for. Now, both of them are going to give you a level of a protective layer, a quote unquote protective layer. So the nitrile foam does it physically, right? So it's going to absorb that energy and dissipate it amongst the foam. What the air, air vest does is it actually creates stopping distance. So it's not so much that the air is, quote unquote, absorbing the energy. You could think of it slightly different, that it's actually creating stopping distance. And any stopping distance you can create
0: is better. So in other words, when it inflates, now that you have three inches, if you will, I'm not sure what the distance is, but three inches of air surrounding you, that's that's hitting the ground first before you do, basically. Right. And one of the things...
1: Apologies, my helper here has fallen. So one of the things that is really key to to realize is your air chambers are actually going to be not the entire body protector, but not the entire air vest. So you're actually creating kind of a trampoline effect. So if I zip this guy up, the air chamber is in the black. So this is the air chamber. And it goes up here, and then it gives you some neck stabilization. Um, this is not part of the air chamber, but when these two are elevated or filled up with air, they create a trampoline effect. So there's there's no impact to the sternum because these are raised up enough that they're actually going to create the stopping distance before it gets to your sternum.
0: And same with your spine, right?
1: Yes. So this, the air chamber is in black, and then, of course, you have a gap here. Okay. So, and and all air vests are constructed similarly. They have air chambers, which create the stopping distance, but it's not the entire thing.
0: Right. It's not like you're in a bubble. Right.
1: So, um, I mean, you can think of it like bubble wrap. Right. Bubble wrap is not, you know, there's, there's seams. Right. It's not one specific
0: chamber. It's a bunch of small chambers. And, and so essentially what's going on there is the theory is that you're going to land somewhere on one of those chambers, which is going to help minimize the impact because your physical body isn't hitting the ground on your sternum and your spine particularly. Right.
1: And Um, I have to say the disclaimer, I haven't taken apart any of the new, I haven't taken apart a horse pilot or a Penelope or a free jump. Um, so I can't speak to them as brands, but the essential thing is, is that you actually have air chambers that will create that trampoline effect.
0: And Roughly at this point in time, how many different brands are there on the market? I'd say more than six. Okay. Probably less than 12. There
1: are new brands coming out every day. I'm hearing about new ones coming from Europe because as we're seeing more riders want to wear it in, in general, whether you're competing in Wellington or whether you are trail riding your horse or you're fox hunting, there are people who want to, to rely on air as opposed
0: to what some perceive as a bulky body protector. So have they done any studies comparing body protectors and air vests in terms of uh, protection level? No, not that I have seen
1: okay. um, because pro- when they were investing, there was a, um, a TRL, which is the transport laboratory over on the other side of the pond. And they were working towards showing the effectiveness of an air vest but because the advice to inventors at the time, because I think this was from, 19, uh, sorry, 2012, 2013, the advice to inventors is both. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so they did not separate out the two. That's one of the things that I think we all want to see from Virginia Tech is can you produce the data that actually pr- shows you in some level of rating, which is going to provide
0: the coverage you need. So it can be, again, like a consumer reports. So um, Ellen's asking if there's different chambers in the vest so that if one gets punctured, you don't lose the air from the other chambers. I don't believe so, not in
1: ours, not in ours that is no longer being produced. Um, I think your chamber is your chamber, which is why If you are riding where you might have a potential for an edge fall, the side of a fence, um, hitting a stick, uh, a branch. I mean, let's face it, we don't all experience branches that are strong enough that would actually
0: um, hurt our helmet or puncture an airbag. But never say never. Never say never. No. So, Okay, so I'm on my horse, I'm wearing my vest, something happens, I start to leave my horse. Have they measured the amount of time that it takes to hit the ground from the typical horse? I mean, that one is 0.2 seconds, but is that something that they've determined how long it takes to hit the ground?
1: So they've measured all all of the products, and I think everybody's kind of in a race to be faster But there was a study back in 2014, I believe, that said that speed is not the important part. The effectiveness of the air itself is the important part. Um, The magazine Horse and Rider in the UK did this study. Um, Unfortunately, I have been unable to find that document. (laughs) Um, but they did a really great job and I'll I'll find it and, and send it to you because one of the things about the speed of the inflation that's important is you want to be able to create a product that inflates fast enough and deflates slowly, but then also doesn't take your breath away when it does these things.
0: Well, I was going to ask about that because I know with car yeah. bags, car airbags that, um, like I sit close to my steering wheel, and there's something about that that you can get injured from the airbags in the car. Yes. Um, So I would think that there's a certain uh, whether the amount of air or the t- or the speed at which it is inflates that would be important in terms of yes not causing injury to the one you're trying to protect. Right. Right. And
1: that's the thing.
0: That's why the um,
1: USHA has cre- requested that Virginia Tech focuses on riding vests because this data just doesn't exist unless it's independently submitted by a magazine or like this institute, the transport uh, laboratory over in the UK. Um, and those types of tests don't always reflect how we're using them in practical terms. Right. So if you see somebody who's on a trail ride or doing dressage or, um, you know, not a venting essentially and they're wearing an air vest they might want to have to be able to to look at this type of data to make their decision a little bit better
0: yeah so now um the these cylinders it contains a gas mm-hmm. is it, um it's compressed air CO2 okay it's CO2 um Which
1: makes it hard to travel on an airplane with.
0: Well, yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of like the same thing as your whipped cream dispenser, where you screw on the CO2 and makes your whipped cream, right? Yeah. Um, But it doesn't have to be like, I have a, I know somebody that's using, uh, creating a device to put CO2 around a wound to increase the oxygen to cause healing, wow. that CO2 has to be medical grade. So I'm right. assuming that this CO2, that is, doesn't, it doesn't have the same standard of requirement as the CO2 for medical grade wound treatment.
1: I would assume so. Most of your canisters, from what I've been told, are all being manufactured in Asia and coming over into the U.S. Um, in bulk. And are, does each vest require a different type of cylinder or? Generally okay. not, but Horse Pilot designed their own cartridge, which is um, not the regular cylinder. Uh, so here's my. So here is a cylinder. And, you know, I have an iPhone 11, 12, yeah. whatever it is. That's how big that cylinder is. Yeah. So. Um, what has happened? This is a 60 cc, which is a general cylinder for an adult. Um, they do make cylinders that are 100 cc's, which obviously must be bigger because right. you know you'd have to. And that, if that vest does not deploy, this is heavy. This is oh. very heavy. Okay. And so if it does, your air vest does not deploy, and it is up against your ribs. We have a hunter rider who had, oh, in Christmas time 2020, she had a fall where her air vest did not deploy. And she was only wearing an air vest. The horse stumbled, she didn't, they fell together. And she broke eight ribs. One of those ribs collapsed her lung. Then when the horse got up, he actually deployed it and that contributed to her injury. So we're not sure whether, you know, some ribs were broken in the original fall and some ribs were broken with the, but essentially you wanna make sure that you know how to set your mechanism, change your cartridge. And there are stores who sell air vests who really focus on the training of making sure that you know how to reset your mechanism
0: should it deploy? Yeah. That's so many more questions because if you and the horse fall together, it's not going to deploy because wham out. I've done that by the way. Yes. (laughs) Been on the ground with my horse. And so a, I don't get protection and B I could get more injured. Right. Right.
1: And that's why the decision to wear a body protector versus an air vest is so personal. You know, you have to, it's kind of like back when helmets were not, um, regular a regular part of our equipment, you have to make the decision, you know, do I need a jockey skull or do I need a helmet that has a a brim on it? It's the same sort of thing. You have to decide whether the protection that you're buying
0: is, is what's going to be the scenario of your accident. And I can tell you that you can never predict exactly how it's going to happen. Right. Right. (laughs) I like to share these little yeah um, yeah, but that's such an interesting thing because i'd never thought about the two falling together and so you have to work the odds that's all there is to it the chances of falling together versus the chances of separating right Um, but that's a really point and the chance of um whether your horse is going to react so this brings up a point I wanted to make, but I was at the Pony Club annual meeting down in Florida one year and there was, it was in a hotel and there was this alcove, which was not far from my booth at all. And they would pop these vests and it sounded like gunshots. And my assistant that was helping me was going through massive PTSD because every time they popped a vest, they didn't warn us and they'd just pop it. And it literally sounded like a gunshot inside the building. So in in an enclosed space, they're very loud. (laughs) Yes, yes. And you, you have to make the judgment
1: for yourself. You know, I'm sure everyone has seen the Facebook threads where, you know, somebody says, Well, I'm not gonna wear an air vest because my horse is spooky. And then the next person says, Well, your horse will get used to it. And, and those kind of responses are not helpful because nobody knows your horse. You know, so
0: or well, I The thing is, if if the horse spooks and you come off, he's already gone anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So what does it matter that he's spooky or not spooky? You're already not there anymore. Right. We
1: have had um, some riders who've had horses kick out. Oh. So it's a personal decision. And that, to me, is the key takeaway, is which one suits
0: your scenario Uh, but but air vests have been around now for a while Mm -hmm. in the eventing world in particular they've been used a lot right and so I would think that if there was a high incidence of horse reaction to the air vest we would have been hearing about it by now that would have been for sure a, a big point of conversation which it isn't right so I think that the way I look at it is the concern over the horse's reaction is rather minimal compared to the concern over the riders safety. For sure for sure. but everybody um, I think that
1: riders have to make those choices themselves yep. uh, as opposed to you know will it uh, which one is which one is better for you the added protection or the potential that your horse is going to spook And so, there are some people who have horses that just don't react well. And right. chances are the person's gonna know that before they go and buy so, their body. So
0: Jinx, the person I told you that is saved by her, she said, my choice was based upon needing to protect my neck. No hard vest did that. It's true. Right. Plus I'm in Virginia and it's hot and wearing a helmet and a hard vest would probably have caused me to pass out. Many different kinds of falls and pros and cons. And that, and that's what we're really here to talk about is, um, yeah. is those pros and cons. Um, so that leads me to another question. Um, when you get off, you must unclip Yes. before you get off your horse. And I would assume that there's been a, a lot of instances where riders are first getting used to their vest where they have forgotten to unclip before they get off. Yes. Um, and that is commonly
1: referred to at the horse shows these days as the $50 dismount.
0: Ah, because it's 50 bucks to recharge
1: for this guy. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, it's, and it's kind of, I mean, it is slightly comical that if you, if you can't, you have to train yourself to detach when you get off. Otherwise it's another
0: $50. Well, and that I could see would be a case where a horse could spook easily because you're getting off and suddenly bam, and here's this loud sound. And so I can see that as kind of a not good scenario. Yeah. And so, um, is it advisable to actually do a fifty dollar test um, to see how your horse is going to react? Like,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, most stores, when you go in to buy an air vest, they will do a test for you. Um, a lot of air vests are sold on horse show grounds, um, so if somebody is at a competition and they want to try on an air vest, I would, I would certainly ask the retailer, Hey, can we test this in front of my horse? Now, if you're on the ground standing next to the horse, chances are he's going to spook more than if you were on top of him, you know, I mean, horses are horses and that pop in front of his face is probably worse for him than on top of his back. And I think that's kind of what we see is that, I mean, if we can go back to You know, some horses don't do well with loud sounds, right? You know, we all have horses that the fire July 4th fireworks, they struggle, you know, and you probably have somebody who says your horse will get used to it. Just turn them out. They'll be fine. Sometimes people know that their horse isn't going to be right. But how do horses get trained to be able to have, well, movie making, guns shot from them you know and then there's also isn't there a sport
0: oh mounted West- shooting yeah.
1: absolutely <laughs> how do they get used to it so i think there's the
0: potential for horses to learn that it's not a bad thing it's also n- not a continuous thing it's a one-time right. hop so right you know um a lot of times with that kind of a sound it's like a oh what was that but it doesn't continue so there isn't the additional drama um (laughs) i like uh, that (laughs) so so in that regard you know it is knowing your horse and knowing how your horse responds but you know you're weighing your safety against a momentary upset of your horse. Absolutely. Um, And I think that that's an important point to, to pay attention to that. It's not like this is going to continue and there's going to be constant sounds. And at that point, you're probably not hanging out of your horse. Anyway, he's probably gone. Um, (laughs) Are they, they, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and taking that uh, one step further,
1: which is why sometimes those Facebook threads are, are a, a frustration for those of us in the industry, because whichever way you're leaning, the person who lives in another state who doesn't know you and doesn't know your horse really can't make that decision for you. So I am, I am a huge, huge proponent of people making those decisions themselves. Yeah. Cause my decision might not be the same as yours right? based yeah. on my horse, based on where I ride. Um, but nobody can make that decision for you.
0: And, and it, you know, that, um, what I I always say that, you know, Facebook gives you advice you were never asked for, um, (laughs) uh, because it's such a, it's a a one dimensional place and there's no nuance to subtlety to know, you know, what's your environment, what's your horse like, what's your circus, you know, it's a one snap statement without the facts. Exactly. Exactly. And we've all encountered that in other parts of our writing, haven't we? Right. Right. So I think that, yeah. And so if we you call it unsolicited advice, advice. Yes, unsolicited advice. If you have a good tax shop, and that's the thing, is unfortunately yes. we're losing our tax shops and we're losing our wealth of knowledge that you know when I was a kid, I used to go to the saddler in Wilton, Connecticut. And the Saddler yeah, was run fantastic story. Yeah. And you could go in and the the depth of experience and knowledge in those people was huge. And so you right. always felt that you were getting the best advice because they had the wealth of knowledge. And nowadays that's changing. And so, you know, you can go into a tax shop and they may not, you know, they may have some, as you said, 16 year old kid that's just selling you some stuff and doesn't have that. So if you have a tax shop that has depth of knowledge and can, you can talk to them, but you'd really like it that they would have choice of brands so that you can try them on. And that's the other thing about buying off the internet is you can't try them on. Unless you order them all, try them all on, see how they fit. So, um, it's it's important to, to take time in making these decisions. I think and and experiencing the different fits and the different styles and having sure. conversations. Don't you agree?
1: Absolutely. And you know there are some retailers who do fantastic work virtually. You know the one one of the benefits of the pandemic is that we've had um, we've had a lot of change in equestrian retailer retail over the past five to six years. Extraordinary changes, stores that didn't last, stores that were a regular community type um, magnet that just, that they don't sell online. They They don't sell on social media. So we've had some fallout in equestrian retail, but what that also has done on the other hand is it's created a wealth of knowledge on a virtual basis. So we have some brands, some stores who are, like I said before, brand agnostic, and they are there to help you find the right product regardless of the brand. And they're doing it on FaceTime, they're doing it in Zoom, they're doing it, they're using all the tools. They're sometimes at horse shows, They're sometimes, um, we have one retailer in particular on the East Coast, she's only doing safety And she goes to horse shows, she does barn visits. So if you have a barn and you ask for her to come and and present, she will do it. Um, She sells online, she does FaceTime and Zoom. And she really helps people learn about body protection and safety and helmets so that they can make the right choice for
0: themselves. And 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 more of that is coming up for 2.0. Let me do yes. the second one. Great. Okay. So stay yeah. tuned because we're going to get this lady to come in on Zoom webinar and talk to us about how you go about buying uh, protection, which is great. We, Danielle and I had already talked about that before we got yeah. started. So I'm excited about that because I think that this is important. It's, um, you know, first you need to understand what it is and why, and right. then it's how do I get that and how do I make the right choice? And I think that's what she's going to help us with is how to make the right choice.
1: For sure, and I think that that is, um, you know, what our community tax stores used to give us. Right. For sure, and now we can have that via Zoom. We just have to know the right stores. And there are, there are a lot of different stores who are peppered around the, the U.S. that can
0: do that. Right, and so I have one last question. Um, I mean, one's, one's personal safety is invaluable, and yet these items cost. What's the average cost of a body protector? What's the average cost of an air vest?
1: Body protectors are about 450 and below. Generally, you don't see them much below 200. There is one product that is beta level three that's under $200. So that's the body protection. So that is that particular category. In air vests, I believe the cheapest air vests you could probably find is in the six or 650 range. Um, and then they they go up from there, depending on which style you're looking for.
0: So it's not a snap decision. It's a fairly no. hefty purchase either way. Right. And if you're venting, you have both. So you're going to have, $1, yeah, twelve hundred dollars. But you know that's one hospital emergency room visit, <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know, it was five hundred for my finger when I smashed it this summer. Oh, so, and that was after insurance. <laughs> oh, oh. So, you know, it adds up quickly. Yeah. That was, uh, my finger got between a steak and a mallet, five pound mallet. I, my finger lost, but it's healed. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, but that, yeah. and the reason I bring that up though, is that, you know, we go, wow, that's really expensive. But then when you actually do the dollar comparison to what it's not only the cost of the emergency room, but then the time lost, the injury, the right. like, recovery time, you know, and, And but it is an expensive purchase. It is something that that people need to to consider and figure out you know how that how they work that out. So I, I would love to add in
1: just from personal experience, I had a fall in October. Um, and I will admit very openly, I currently don't, and I always have to knock on wood. I don't, I wasn't that day wearing body protection. I had a fall. My horse spooked. I had a fall. I fell on my back and ended up really kind of crippled, but it wasn't a severe injury, but I could barely stand straight. Went to, so these are minimal injuries. I went to the chiropractor, which has that electromagnetic, um, apologies. I love, I love the machine, but I don't know what it's actually called. If I were to total up the amount that I spent as my copay, because of course, chiropractors want you to keep coming. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want you to just come once and you feel better and you stop. But if I would have added all of that up, it probably would have equaled an air vest. Yeah.
0: It doesn't take long anymore, does it?
1: And I didn't go to the ER because it wasn't one of those scenarios. Right. It was really a chiropractic adjustment. So even a minimal
0: injury can add dollars. And then of course, there's the every time, every ride. Right. Right. If you're going to invest the money and you don't wear it, then what's the point? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Danielle, this has been, again, very, you're great because I learned so much from you um, and I'm really looking forward to those studies coming out of VTech I think those are going to be uh, really important for our overall safety. Um, And thank you, everybody. So thank you for joining me. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We will be taking a break until January, but I have a really cool guest coming up on January 3rd. I'm super excited about, of course, I will send you that email. So if you haven't already subscribed to the Murdoch Method email newsletter, please go to murdochmethod.com and sign up. So every Sunday I put out the guests for the following week. So um, in the meantime, have a fabulous holiday and a happy new year. We'll see everybody next year. And thanks again, Danielle. It's great to see you. Thank you. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy new year. Bye.
1: Bye.